Good morning, church. You can do better than that. Come on. Let me do it again. Good morning, church. That's better. That's much better. (laughs) Um, Thank you, Pastor, for that introduction. Thank you. As you know, we have been walking side by side through a sermon series on the book of Philippians. Pastor Brian began the series speaking on faithful friendships. And doesn't it just sound like a year ago? The focus today is on chapter 4, the last chapter of the book of Philippians. I will begin by asking you questions, because you have been listening to the book of Philippians all this time, so I need some good answers from you. Are you guys ready? Are you ready? All right. First question. What is the first word that comes to your mind when you read the book of Philippians? Joy. Joy. Beautiful. That's because Paul mentions the word joy or rejoice about 16 times in his short letter to the Philippians. Now, second question. This is a little harder. If a three-year-old kid asks you what is joy, what would you say joy is? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay, tell the kid that joy (laughs) equals Jesus, others, and you. Our joy depends on how we can pattern our Christian life after the humility and selflessness of Christ so that we can be united with him and experience the relationship uh, with our Christ Jesus. Joy is the quiet, confident assurance of God's love and work in our lives. The assurance that our God is at hand no matter our circumstances or situations. Now, question number three, this is much more difficult. Is joy the same as happiness? No, it's not. Happiness depends on the happiness in our lives. Happiness changes with our circumstances. Anyone can be happy but our joy depends on Christ. That is why only Christians can really know joy because our joy is in Jesus. Paul's message to the Philippians is simply that. Let me just quickly read that. You guys did uh, about maybe 63%, but it's okay. In the beginning of this part, of of this chapter of the Philippians, Paul zeroes in on our relationships as believers. He tells us that we can experience successful relationships when we stand firm on the Lord Jesus. Let us read. First verse of Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom whom, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. What happened to Paul? I always believed that my brother Paul was this strong, emotional, emotionless guy who is aloof, stiff, sterile, no-nonsense professorial, and an intellectual father figure. But in the opening of this verse, he went soft on me. Paul revealed his true personality. 
He used these very tender and beautiful words to, re to reveal his emotional connection to the Philippians who had captured his heart. If there was a favorite among the churches he planted, it was the church at Philippi, his first church. Those in the church were his beloved. He yearned for them. From his prison cell, they were his joy and crown. And you can feel Paul's throbbing heart throughout this epistle. He is personal, warm, embracive, endearing, and encouraging. He is also teaching, directing, correcting, and preparing his beloved ones of the Philippian church for the return of Christ. By addressing them this way, he does not assume apostolic authority over the Philippians. He practically puts himself at their level and he lets his heart out. Speaking with so much affection, Paul gives the needed force for his warning signs to reach deep into the hearts of the Philippians, his beloved. He laid the foundation for what is coming next. What's our lesson from this approach? You and I know that the use of words of endearment in relationships, especially in families, goes a long way in enhancing unity and action. But speaking with authoritative posture and unloving lips do no good and could meet with resistance. Unloving lips might be perceived as barking and can be irritable to those closest to us. <laughs> yes. Often leaving things untouched, unmoved, and undone. Okay, I'm not saying you should be going around saying, honey, darling, my joy, my crown, to everyone. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that words of affection, words of endearment, melts and unlocks the heart of others for the entrance of our words or requests. So from now on, I'm going to call off all of you beloved. Then Paul abruptly turns from addressing the Philippians church in a general and broader fashion to address an issue that seems minor but has the potential to blow up the church. Two women who were of great help to him in his ministry had clashed and were on no speaking terms. These ladies had camped out in their own corners, perhaps with their supporters, not speaking to the point that the rift had the potential to split the church. It was two women in this case, but it could have just as well be two men who clashed and on no speaking terms. Let's read. Paul says, I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also through companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. The danger posed by this conflict was so explosive that Paul heard about it and mobilized all resources to mend and address it openly. I think these two sisters were in the church the day Paul's letter was read out aloud, where they were called out by names to get it together. Let's park here a little bit and learn from Paul how to resolve conflicts and avoid divisions in the church and possibly in our relationships. But first, how would you feel 
being in the church, and Pastor Brian calls you out by name during service because of a quarrel. This can be any two people in the church, men or women, not getting along because of a clash over something that may be insignificant. We are not told what the quarrel is about. We are not told who started the dispute or who is right or wrong. It is not a theological difference because Paul would have written Philippians 2 to address the issue. These Christian women could have been any of us, man or woman, with similar leadership giftings and strong personalities. You and I know that such qualities often breed stubbornness. And as we know, strong leadership skills are from the Lord, but stubbornness is of the flesh. But wait a minute. Could both ladies be members of the church decorative team and there was disagreement over which color to paint the young adults class? Could it be over who should be allowed to play softball at the annual church barbecue at Ryan's Park? Could it be over where the church cafe team should get bagels? Or how long cafes should stay open after service? We don't know. They clashed, stopped talking, and avoided each other, and it's affecting church activities. But how can we Christians look the world in the face? if we cannot bear the sight of one another. Such is against our beliefs and what the church stands for. The church represents oneness on earth, and in heaven there cannot be divisions. As a kid, I used to get a kick out of watching women quarrel in my village. They would make fun of their, of their hair, clothes, their looks, and especially each other's name. Sintiki says to you, Odia, your name sounds odious. That's why you are odious. And everything about you is odious. You stink. Your parents named you, you odious because you were born smelling. When would you notice that everyone pinches their nose when you are around because you are, and your behavior are odious? Odia says to Sintiki, I'm odious. And I stink. Who named their kids syndicate? Look at your hair, makeup, your clothes. You look like sin. That's because you came into this world holding a syndicate. You were born in sin, into sin, around sin, and even now you, will, you are full of sin and will die in sin. Usually after this, people take sides. Enmity sets sin. Husbands, families, and friends stop talking to each other until the village elders meet to resolve the dispute which is what Paul did. As much as we want to avoid conflict in the church, the fact remains we can't. Praise God, our church today is not experiencing conflict, but it might. The same is true of our relationships, marriages, families, workplaces, and even our neighborhoods. We must not believe that conflicts are wrong. The best strategy is to anticipate conflict and, like Paul, find godly ways to resolve it. The question should always be, how do we honor God in our conflicts? Notice how Paul went about resolving the conflict between Euodia and Syntyche. First, is his careful, even-handedness. He entreats them individually by their name. He didn't say, I entreat Euodia and Syntyche. 
Paul says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche. That's because he loves them both. And he's very careful not to take sides. Second, he reminds them of their labor of, for Christ and their eternal status. Euodia and Syntyche were his beloved side-by-side co-laborers. They perhaps went on mission trips together, built the, church, the, the body of Christ and expanded God's kingdom. Paul reminds them of their place in Christ, and as Christians, their names are written in the book of life. The book of life is a record of all who experience the blessedness of eternal life through resurrection. As believers, be assured that our names have been written in the book of life. But you must be saved to become a believer and for your name to be written in the book of life. So, friends... If you are here today and have not given your life to Christ, please do so immediately because the Lord is returning soon and so that you can begin to experience the joy of knowing Christ. I will ask you to visit our prayer room at the end of this service and our church leaders will lead you to Christ. It is quick and easy. Please don't miss the opportunity to become a believer. Do it today. Third, Paul reminds Yehudi and Sintiki of where to focus their energy by entreating them to get it together. Because their citizenship is in heaven. They must stand firm, unite in Christ, and put their pettiness aside. Believers cannot stand firm on Christ from a position of division and disharmony. There is no room for personal disagreements in the church. Finally, he assigns a mediator, his true companion or yoke fellow, perhaps Epaphroditus, to come alongside these ladies and move them from their position of self-imposed isolation. Beloved, suppose your life was to be summed up in one sentence. What would it be? Suppose we were to go down in history with one thing known about us. What would it be? Would it be a peacemaker or breaker of peace? More questions. What disagreements do we have today as Christians? Are they over petty things? And how do we conduct ourselves during conflicts? Do we stand firm on Christ when we experience conflict? Or do we close, do we lose our footing on Christ, our solid rock? As believers, our behavior during disputes is to be guided by the principle of to major on the majors or those essentials that unite us in Christ. And that is, that Christ died for our sins, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He is coming again and soon. Therefore, we ought to learn to exercise liberty in the minors. Those non-essentials such as the colors of the classroom. Christians ought to demonstrate love in all matters to honor our names that have been written in the book of life. Be reminded that love conquers all things, resolves all conflicts, whether in the church, in our marriages, families, or at work. For the first Corinthians 13, 4 to 5 says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
Paul then assumes a fatherly role to address our relationships as believers. He instructs us on why and how to get our lives together for eternity. Instruction number one. Get it together for Christ is returning soon. So let's read. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Rejoice always, and I say rejoice, is a happy command to all believers. We are to be joyful in every circumstance. Even when things are going badly. Even when we feel like complaining. Even when no one else is joyful. That is because Christ reigns. And we love him, so we must always rejoice. Paul implores Yodia and Syntyche, and in fact, all believers to always be joyful and reasonable. This is critical. In that if we uphold this command to rejoice always, we can show everyone our reasonableness, kindness, gentleness, and we'll be considerate in all that we do. To be reasonable also means that we are fair-minded and charitable to each other and even to non-believers. It also means we seek to revenge, we seek no revenge against those who treat us unfairly or be overly vocal about our individual rights. Our behavior is to be characterized by what the Lord deposited in us, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Our reasonableness is crucial in building and maintaining community. It is that attitude of looking out for others and not just for us. Reasonableness requires that we are not conceited, crusty, unpleasant, or unapproachable. We ought to be able to maintain an attitude of moderation in our approach to life. This requires us to have the ability to meet someone halfway in any situation. And we should demonstrate reasonableness in all the ways we do life in the church and with our spouses, families, kids, and work colleagues. And Paul expects our reasonableness to be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. The Bible teaches that Christ is next to us. He sits and hears us. He is omnipresent. He is where two or more are gathered. He is here in our midst right now. He is with us to the end of age. Believing that Christ is at hand and always right next to us should cause us Christians to live Christ-like. You don't want Christ to return and find you causing trouble. Do you? You don't want Jesus to find you unreasonable, unapproachable, highly opinionated, clashing over things that don't make you heavenly bound. Do you? Beloved, let's be mindful in all our ways that Jesus is omnipresent, that he's everywhere at the same time. He sees, hears, and knows what we do or say, privately or in public. He is always near and at hand. Instruction number two. Get it together by praying about everything. Let's read. Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the presence of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul tells his congregation, including Yodia and Syntyche, to get it together by being anxious about nothing. In everything, pray and let your request be made known to God. Thankful prayers and petitions are the antidote to strife and anxiety and the sure way to God's peace. Thankful prayers, I repeat, and petitions are the antidote to strife and anxiety and the sure way to God's peace. Peace does not mean that you will not have problems. Peace means that our problems will not have us. The peace of God is the sense of well-being resulting from being in Christ. God's peace transcends all understanding in guiding both our hearts and minds. Here, the heart is number one and the focus of attention. Hearts are the center of our deepest feelings and motivations. Beloved, you know that prayer is conversation with the Lord. Paul says that the key to God's peace is to be anxious about nothing. Put our cares in prayers. Pray about everything and be thankful for everything. Supplication is our specific request made to God in prayers. And you are to accompany them with thanksgiving to God, believing that he is already at work for you. When you pray, remember the love of God, which desires only what is best for us. The wisdom of God, which alone knows what is best for us. The power of God, which alone can bring to pass that which is best for us. We are told that those who pray with perfect trust in love, wisdom, and the power of God will find God's peace. Instruction number three. Get it together by wearing a badge of purity. Let us read. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Did you notice that Paul is not saying to his listeners to do these things? He says, think about these things. This means that in any circumstance and at all costs, believers cannot let their guards down but always think Christianity. His concern is the ability of thoughts or the believer's mindset. We know the mind is vital in shaping our behavior. Our behavior often results from our thoughts. As they say in the computer programming industry, garbage in, garbage out. Paul believes that a mind drilled in this, with these things which God approves is the surest way to practical holiness. He says that rightful thinking results in rightful living, which will introduce God's peace in us. For me, the word think is like a one-shot deal. I prefer words like dwell, meditate, or ponder, 
We suggest fixing our thoughts on these key ingredients which Paul says are essential to the believer's growth and stability. Whatever is true, not falsehoods, not conspiracy theories, but let your mind dwell on the highest of all truth about God and your relationship with him. Whatever is honorable are the things that you dwell on about God. Are they reverent, venerable, and solemn? If they are, dwell on these things. Whatever things are just, are your thoughts morally right? Are they thoughts that keep you in Christ? If so, meditate on these things. Overall, are your thoughts spiritual, good? Are they? If your thoughts are spiritual, good, lovely, commendable, or worthy of God's praise, think about these things. Beloved, God cares about your thoughts because your thoughts affect your relationship with him. And what we think affects how we behave at home, in your jobs, in our church, and they determine how we respond to situations, especially when we are under stress. In fact, thoughts are so powerful that they can affect us physically. So let us rename Paul's list the whatevers. And let's wear them as a necklace or tape them to our doorposts, refrigerators, computer screens, and even pins to our dashboards as a constant reminder of what should occupy our thoughts. Paul recommends that we filter our thoughts and actions through the list of whatevers. Because we often become what we think. Fixing our thoughts on good things will lead us to experience joy and changed lives. Beloved, let us therefore always place Christ on the seat of our minds and think good thoughts so that the God of peace will always be with us. The conflict of Euodia and Syntyche that they were walking through, presented them with the opportunity to check the messages that were running through their minds and to assume the best about each other. Each of us is presented this same opportunity during conflicts, whether in the church or at home. Instead, we often allow damaging thoughts about each other to simmer in our minds. Our thoughts become hardly honorable, just, lovely, commendable, worthy of praise or of excellent quality. By so doing, we stand outside of Christ. Instruction number four. Get it together and be examples to others. Paul reminds the Philippians that what they have learned, he taught them. What they have observed in him, they could do. Things the Philippians had heard, he told them. Paul wants them to imitate him. That's because he lived among them, demonstrating how to live for Christ. Here are some of his life examples to the Philippians. Listen. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And my God will supply all my needs according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. Surely, Paul lived a life worthy to be imitated. He's an example of steadfastness in Christ to us and the Philippians. Paul not only talked the talk, he also walked the walk. What could Paul have expected from Euodia and Syntyche or any of us during a conflict? It was not to say, I am right, the other is wrong. He expected any of us to make the first move. We are not to wait for the other. One was not to say, I am ready to accept another's apology whenever it is made. No. Or the other to say, I'm perfectly ready to make an apology when there is a hint it will be accepted. No. This posture will, all, will not be based on the selflessness and the humility of Christ. Beloved, there is no excuse good enough for us to allow a breakdown in Christian love and communication, no matter the nature of the situation. Even under complex circumstances, in order to free up communication and show love, conditional apologies may be in order. How about saying to each other, for example, I don't see where I have wronged you but it is obvious that you feel I have hurt you. So please forgive me. Notice that in such a move, the realities of love, grace, power, reasonableness, gentleness, available to us in the Lord Jesus is brought to the dispute. And the place is open for prayer. Even though the past cannot be resolved or undone, it need not be an open soul. In conflict, we can only find the strength in Christ to eradicate the bitterness of heart, understand one another, express practical concern, and pray for each other. No matter the complexity of the conflict, the hope is that we are all alert and to quickly discern and heal the problem of disunity in the church and in our relationships. Beloved, realize that Paul was in prison, in chains, not sure if he would be beheaded when he pleaded that we imitate him and be role models. He was in prison. Think about that. But do you know that the Holy Spirit is in fact making us into role models for those around us? The question is, are we up to it? Let's model our relationship on Christ and surround our circumstances with prayer. Let us drill our minds in godly thinking and subject our life to the word of God. When we do this, the peace of God which passes all understanding, we keep our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus and the God of peace will be with us. We cannot afford to lose these blessings. Finally, Remember that what caused the dispute between Yehudi and Sintiki remains unknown. But we each can fill in our names or fill in the details. 
This is because these two great women of faith can be any of us. It is quite easy to reprimand them for not setting good examples in the church. But remember, when you point one finger at someone, many others are pointing at you. We are all in the same boat and bound to make the same mistakes. The same way, the name of the true yoke fellow is left anonymous. And here also we can each write our own names. This requires us to be alert, quick to discern, and resolve problems of disunity in the fellowship of the church. And so, my brothers and sisters, I leave you with these thoughts. Is there a conflict in your life that you are struggling with today? Situations that require you to be a Christian role model. Are you able to demonstrate the selflessness and humility of Christ? to step up and resolve the conflict in a godly manner. Does Jesus matter more to you than your grievances? There's only one sure way to be sure. As they say, love your Samaritan. Are you a Christian role model for other believers, your spouse, kids, members of your families, and those you encounter regularly? What would need to happen for you to be able to confidently say to them, as Paul did, hey, what you have heard, learned, received, and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Let us pray.